0: Part the first, Chapter Four of Dick Sands, the Boy Captain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alex Alexey Talander, Davis, California. Dick Sands, the Boy Captain, by Jules Verne, translated by Ellen E. Fleur. Part the first, Chapter Four, The Survivors of the Waldeck. In spite of the watchfulness of the French and English cruisers, there is no doubt that the slave trade is still extensively carried on in all parts of Equatorial Africa, and that year after year vessels loaded with slaves leave the coasts of Angola and Mozambique to transport their living freights to many quarters, even of the civilized world. Of this Captain Hall was well aware, and although he was now in a latitude which was comparatively little traversed by such slavers, he could not help almost involuntarily conjecturing that the negroes that they had just found must be part of a slave cargo which was on its way to some colony of the Pacific. If this were so, he would at least have the satisfaction of announcing to them that they had regained their freedom from the moment that they had come on board the Pilgrim. Whilst these thoughts were passing through his mind, Mrs. Weldon, assisted by Nan and the ever-active Dick Sands, was doing everything in her power to restore consciousness to the poor sufferers the judicious administration of fresh water and limited quantity of food soon had the effect of making them revive and when they were restored to their senses it was found that the eldest of them a man of about sixty years of age who immediately regained the, his powers of speech was able to reply in good english to all the questions that were put to him in answer to captain hull's inquiry whether they were not slaves the old negro proudly stated that he and his companions were all free american citizens belonging to the state of pennsylvania then let me assure you my friend said the captain you have by no means compromised your liberty in having been brought on board the american schooner pilgrim not merely as it seemed on account of his age and experience but rather because of a certain superiority and greater energy of character this old man was tacitly recognized as the spokesman of his party He freely communicated all the information that Captain Hull required to hear, and by degrees he related all the details of his adventures. He said that his name was Tom, and that when he was only six years of age he had been sold as a slave, and brought from his home in Africa to the United States, but by the act of emancipation he had long since recovered his freedom. His companions, who were all much younger than himself, their ages ranging from twenty-five to thirty, were all free-born, their parents having been emancipated before their birth, so that no white man had ever exercised upon them the rights of ownership. One of them was his own son, his name was Bat, an abbreviation of Bartholomew, and there were three others, named Austin, Action, and Hercules. All four of them were specimens of that stalwart race that commands so high a price in the African market, and in spite of the emancipation induced by their recent sufferings, their muscular, well-knit frames betokened a strong and healthy constitution." their manner bore the impress of that solid education which is given in the north american schools and their speech had lost all trace of the nigger tongue a dialect without articles or inflections which since the anti-slavery war had almost died out in the united states three years ago old tom stated the five men had been engaged by an englishman who had large property in south australia to work upon his estates near melbourne here they had realized a considerable profit and upon the completion of their engagement they determined to return with their savings to america accordingly on the fifth of january after paying their passage in the ordinary way they embarked at melbourne on board the Waldeck. everything went on well for seventeen days until on the night of the twenty-second which was very dark they were run into by a great steamer they were all asleep in their berths but roused by the shock of the collision which was extremely severe they hurriedly made their way on to the deck the scene was terrible both masts were gone and the brig although the water had not absolutely flooded her hold so as to make her sink had completely heeled over on her side Captain and crew had entirely disappeared, some probably having been dashed into the sea, others perhaps having saved themselves by clinging to the rigging of the ship which had fouled them, and which could be distinguished through the darkness rapidly receding in the distance. For a while they were paralyzed, but they soon awoke to the conviction that they were left alone upon a half-capsized and disabled hull, twelve hundred miles from the nearest land, Mrs. Weldon was loud in her expression of indignation that any captain should have the barbarity to abandon an unfortunate vessel with which his own carelessness had brought him into collision. It would be bad enough, she said, for a driver on a public road, when it might be presumed that help would be forthcoming, to pass on unconcerned after causing an accident to another vehicle. But how much more shameful to desert the injured on the open sea, where the victims of his incompetence could have no chance of obtaining succor. Captain Hull could only repeat what he had said before, that incredibly atrocious it might seem, such inhumanity was far from rare. On resuming his story, Tom said that he and his companion soon found that they had no means left for getting away from the capsized brig. Both the boats had been crushed in the collision, so that they had no alternative except to await the appearance of a passing vessel, whilst the wreck was drifting hopelessly along under the action of the currents. This accounted for the fact of their being found so far south of their proper course. For the next ten days the negroes subsisted upon a few scraps of food that they found in the stern cabin, but as the storeroom was entirely under water, they were quite unable to obtain a drop of anything to drink, and the fresh-water tanks that had been lashed to the deck had been stove in at the time of the catastrophe. Tortured with thirst, the four men had suffered agonies, and having on the previous night entirely lost consciousness, they must soon have died if the pilgrims' timely arrival had not effected their rescue. All the outlines of Tom's narrative were fully confirmed by the other negroes captain Hull could see no reason to doubt it indeed the facts seemed to speak for themselves one other survivor of the wreck if he had been gifted with the power of speech would doubtless have corroborated the testimony this was the dog who seemed to have such an unaccountable dislike to negoro dingo as the dog was named belonged to the fine breed of mastiffs peculiar to new holland it was not however from australia but from the coast of west africa near the mouth of the congo that the animal had come he had been picked up there two years previously by the captain of the Waldeck who had found him wandering about and more than half starved the initials s v engraved upon his collar were the only tokens that the dog had a past history of his own after being taken on board the Waldeck, he remained quite unsociable apparently ever pining for some lost master whom he had failed to find in the desert land where he had been met with larger than the dogs of the pyramids dingo was a magnificent example of his kind standing on his hind legs with his head thrown back he was as tall as a man his agility and strength would have made him a sure match for a panther, and he would not have flinched at facing a bear. His fine, shaggy coat was a dark, tawny color, shading off somewhat lighter around the muzzle, and his long, bushy tail was as strong as a lion's. If he were made angry, no doubt he might become a more formidable foe, Said that it was no wonder that Nogoro did not feel altogether gratified at his reception. But Dingo, though unsociable, was not savage. Old Tom said that, on board the Waldeck he had noticed that the animals seemed to have a peculiar dislike to negroes, not that he actually attempted to do them any harm, only he uniformly avoided them, giving an impression that he must have been systematically ill-treated by the natives of that part of Africa in which he had been found. During the ten days that had elapsed since the collision, Dingo had kept resolutely aloof from Tom and his companions. They could not tell what he had been feeding on. They only knew that, like themselves, he had suffered an excruciating thirst. Such had been the experience of the survivors of the Waldeck. Their situation had been most critical. Even if they survived the pangs of want of food, the slightest gale or the most inconsiderable swell might at any moment have sunk the waterlogged ship, and had it not been that calms and contrary winds had contributed to the opportune arrival of the pilgrim, an inevitable fate was before them. Their corpses must lie at the bottom of the sea. Captain Tall's act of humanity, however, would not be complete unless he succeeded in restoring the shipwrecked men to their homes. This he promised to do, After completing the unlading at Valparaiso, the pilgrim would make direct for California, where, as Mrs. Weldon assured them, they would be most hospitably received by her husband, and provided with the necessary means for returning to Pennsylvania. The five men, who, as a consequence of the shipwreck, had lost all the savings of their last three years of toil, were profoundly grateful to their kind-hearted benefactors. Nor, poor negroes as they were, did they utterly resign the hope that at some future time they might have it in their power to repay the debt which they owed their deliverers. End of part the first. Chapter four. Recording by Alexey Tolander. Davis, California. com